Uh, so I hope you're enjoying our series. I don't know if you say it. it's a serious series. 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 I was going to... No, I was going to bet that a Bob Marley song there. I won't. <laughs> anyway, we're continuing our series together. Uh, it's a study through the book of Ephesians. And I love what we've talked about, what we've walked through, uh, what we've dipped in and out of over the last couple of weeks. I know Sean... Pastor Sean last week spoke on, um, uh, from Ephesians 3, I think it was, or Ephesians 4, and the previous week it was uh, uh, Brian Somerville doing the same text, the same scripture, but there's so much of a richness in the text that we can draw it out uh, for ourselves, that we can apply it for ourselves. I know Brian mentioned as well two weeks ago that the first Ephesians can be broke up into two kind of sections. The first section is very kind of theologically rich, and then the second half from, I think it's four, five, and six, is very practical. Uh, I think that if you look in your heading in, in Ephesians 4, uh, I think on this section here from 17, it says, live in the Christian life. So there's, there's very practical principles, and that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning, of how we can apply uh, God's word to our life. Um, I, I love the Bible. I love everything about it. When I first got saved, um, uh, a, a guy said to me, it's... I was kind of chatting to him and asking questions about the Bible because you're brand new to faith and you're brand new to the Lord and you would have heard the different stories and, and the words he said to me was it's, it's, it's a, he said the Bible is literal history with a spiritual meaning and so when we look at the Bible in a sense we see our origins, our creation uh, how nations came into being we look at the western world today and, and the foundations of the western world the, the, the judicial system is built on biblical principles it's built on, it's founded on the word of God um, uh, it, it's, it's just all of those things are very very practical for us I mean even scientists today when they're discovering something they'll always refer back to the Bible of its origins and, and, and stuff like that so, so I love the Bible that it offers you history it gives you a history lesson when I first started reading it that was one of the reasons why I read it was to familiarise myself with my history I was, a new, I was becoming a new Christian and, and just wanting to know more of God and, and I wanted to know where, where my faith originated from and, and I, I believed that God had created us and so I wanted to go back to the beginning what that looked like for me and how did I come to the place where I am now and so it was very practical in, in my reading of the Word of God and would have known, say, you know, the Christmas movie, the, the greatest story ever told, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and his grey beard and all that kind of stuff. And so watching these things on TV, I said, actually, I'm going to actually read now like the truth about it, the, the reality of it from the book. They say a book is always better than a, a movie. So I said, look, I'll have it here in front of me. Let's read about it. And so I just began to simply familiarise myself with my history, our history, and I'd encourage you, if you don't know where to read and you're looking at something, you're looking for something to read in a sense of, in, in terms of your Christian faith, look up, our, look up your history, get familiar with the stories of David and Bathsheba, with David and Goliath, Samson, Delilah and Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Exodus, the plagues, all of these things and how the Israelites were brought into captivity, how they were brought back to the land, how the first temple was built, the second temple was built, how Christ came. All of these things are, are documented, not just in the Bible, but in, in other manuscripts outside of the Bible. And so I love the fact that it has, it's, it's a history book, but it offers us a spiritual meaning. It presents to us a way of living in a world that even the 
biblical times, but we're in biblical times. The Bible's still around. God is still risen, so we're always in biblical times. We always get, get this perception of, I wonder what it'd be like in biblical times. We are in biblical times. And it's, um, but it gives us this kind of idea that, you know, when we look back in our history and we see the societies where, where, and, and the cultures where, where God's men and God's people were and what they had to maybe put up with the culture and stuff like that. And it's, it's very similar to today. You know, I mean, nothing much has changed. Man heart, man's heart does not change. It's always inclined to do its own thing. But God is still a faithful God. And God is able to keep and protect us in any and all situations. And so I love the spiritual applications that are presents to us. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. It teaches us how, how to live the Christian life, uh, the rewards for living and practicing the wise sayings it presents was, I think, again, my wife is always talking about this, it's, and, and I forget what it is now, actually, but it's, uh, you know, good work and, 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 and proper planning has its rewards. Now, I'm using my own words here, like, but, you know, proper planning, good work, hard labor, like, it has, you, you reap from that, and God sees that because we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God has already prepared works in advance for us to do. And, um, and, so, and so it's a walk with him. We're yoked together with Christ. You know, we don't go off on our own. We don't go solo. We walk with Christ. We allow the Spirit of God to lead us to the places that he's already ordained for us to walk in and walk through. And so there's this kind of application that when we walk with Christ, we walk with Christ. But then there's the, the, there's the principles of applying the truths of God's word to our lives. Um, there's a, again, going back to my early days as a, as a Christian and talking uh, with our pastor at the time, and, and it was one thing he said to me that it just never left me. And he said, so the Bible is like, when you spell it out, B-I-B-L-E, and it's basic instructions before leaving earth. And so if you can think of it in that way, it's, just, it's a really, really simple um, process to apply God's word. It's basic instructions before leaving earth. Has anybody here ever put Atten together from Ikea? <laughs> or anywhere else for that matter? When we don't follow the instructions, it goes chaotic. We just go off the beaten track altogether. I end up losing the head. I end up getting frustrated. I end up getting angry. And I always go back to the instructions. And so that's exactly what the Bible is. If you keep it simple, it's basic instructions. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to know the deep depths of, the, of its truth and the spiritual meanings. We just have to believe that whatever God has said about you and me, and we just have to believe it, that if God is for us, who can be against us? That if God says, no, I am with you and I will never leave you and forsake you, when we feel leave, when we feel alone, when we feel forsaken, we sometimes have to be very, very practical in our thinking and say, no, Lord, you said that you will never leave me nor forsake me. You said I've not to fear, but I'm fearing right now. But you said that you will be with me, that you will guide me, that you will direct me. And so it's really just trying to bring it back in simple terms to that kind of thinking. And that's what I love about the Bible. Yes, there's the whole spiritual side of it, but there's the very practical things that we can apply. And, and even in Ephesians, uh, like, so talking about what, what Brian touched on, the, the first three chapters are like theologically rich, uh, the, the remaining three are very, very practical. And in Ephesians 2, um, verse 12, I'll actually read verse 19. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the, cor as the chief cornerstone. In other words, what the prophets spoke of 
and what the apostles seeing in Christ, it all comes together. He is the cornerstone that joins them both together and makes all things new. In him, verse 21 says, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so this theme of together, of togetherness and you know, just being together, it has its foundations, it's Christ. When we are united with him as one body, one people, with one faith, we become the building blocks of the church by which the gates of hell will not prevail. That, that, that's a promise. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. When we come together in unity, the Bible says, there the Lord commands a blessing of life evermore. It's life, as John said earlier on, Johnny said earlier on, it's life in all of its fullness. It's not just eternal life. It's seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, where we are right now, as well as into eternity. So this is what Christ has to offer us. This is what God wants to offer us. But he gives us some very, very practical steps as well to follow through on our journey. And so this morning, we are going to be reading from Ephesians 4. And I've picked out five principles that I hope we will just even take away. Maybe even take one or two away. Uh, maybe you've got them all kind of lined up and you know it and it's, it's, it's cool. But these principles really are just, you know, they're kind of like guides or signposts, in a sense, to live by. Uh, that Jesus intends us to live uh, according to his purpose. Our identity in him and the calling that he has placed on our lives. And so he gives us these practical principles. The principle really is just a fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for a person's attitude and behavior. You know, if you, you know, you've probably heard it said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything, you know, you know and, and you'll be drawn in hook, line, and sink. Uh, hook, line, and sink. Isn't it? Hook, sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. I'm tired. We were in Scotland uh, over the weekend, and I didn't get in until 2 o'clock this morning. So I'm, um, I know. It was worse than that. Cool. But I mean, principles are really just like signposts that act as a guide or a moral compass of sorts that help us live and behave in a certain way. They're not based on feelings. They're not, it's, it's what we believe. It's our convictions. That's what principles are. You know, we have a principle and we won't go or do something, whatever. I don't know if anybody plays golf here. I'm not a big golf fan, but I do like sports. And there's been a bit of a hullabaloo recently about, I think it's called Live Golf and, um, and, and the PGA. And I don't fully understand it, but there's been a breakaway and there's been a split. And some people have, you know, sacrificed their principles for the sake of money, for more money. And others have stood by their principles for the sake of the game of golf as well. Like, so it's been all over the news. It's been all over the sports news anyway. And so principles will be determined, you know what I mean, by what we believe in, by what we value. And if you value money and whatever, your principles can easily be compromised as well. And so whatever we value, whatever we hold dear to ourselves, uh, these are the principles. Warren Wearsby says this. I mean, look, we've all heard the uh, scripture, what would Jesus do? You know, when we're in a situation, it's like, oh, what would Jesus do? Warren Wearsby says this. We seek to do what Jesus would do, the way Jesus would do it, so that he alone gets the glory. Doing so isn't always easy, but it's necessary. It isn't always comfortable, but it's Christ-like. 
So in other words, in doing the right thing, it's doing the right thing when you don't know what to do. And it's having this heart, this posture in our heart to say, I know I need to be doing this. Not for any other reason except it, it will bring glory to God. It will, it will honor his name. In Matthew 7, 24, it says, He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So there's always, like again, reading through the scriptures, there's always he who hears and puts them into practice. There's a responsibility on every single one of us. I can't put principles and, or you can't put principles and practices into place for me. And equally, I can't put them in place for you. God gives us the responsibility to do these things. But he doesn't leave us on his own, on our own to do these. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his life to be able to do these things. So in other words, he who practices and hears these things is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. There's always an application of God's word that must be applied to our lives. And in our reading this morning, I've picked out five principles. I could have picked out more, but five is plenty, I think, uh, that I believe we'll do well to practice these as Christians. So before we go any further, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and let's just commit the next few minutes into the Lord's hands. So Father, I just want to thank you for, again, an opportunity. Father, it is a privilege to gather around your word. It is a privilege. Sometimes I often think, you know, it's more important. You know, we, we look at presidents and prime ministers and kings and queens and, and, and the calling you've placed on our lives, Lord God, affects eternity, Lord God. It's more valuable and important than any man or any woman who sits in a place of authority. You've given and placed eternity in our own hearts. And so, Father, we pray this morning that as we gather around your word, we will have a heart that's open to receive your word, is open to be challenged by what you would say to each and every one of us. Father, I am asking that you will bless my tongue, O oh God. Make it like that of a skillful writer as we go through these next few minutes. Father, I am asking for your anointing to speak with clarity, with wisdom. Father, give us ears to hear. Let us be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock and that when the rain and the wind and the storms of life come crashing, oh God, we will be able to stand because you have placed something in our hands. You have placed something in our lives. So Father, visit us this morning, we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. So Ephesians 4, 17 through to 32. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I like that translation because it just it sits with me. It's easy to read. And I like easy things. I hate complications. <laughs> Verse 17 says this. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lusts and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. 
Don't use foul language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as, tr- just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So our first principle I want to look at this morning, or this afternoon, I should say, is to reject our old self. Verse 22 says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lusts and deception. Uh, I remember years ago when the kids were an awful lot younger. The kids are going to hate me for this because we all, pastors always use kids as examples and all that. But we all can identify with this. When we're going on holidays or when anyone's going on holidays, you go to pennies and you buy bags loads of clothes for the summer, for the holidays and wherever else. And then after, because they're kids and they're eating well and they're grown, all of a sudden they're grown out of these things. So what do we do with those clothes? We cast them aside. We lay them aside. Even ourselves, if you buy a nice top, a nice skirt, you do whatever you do, and you know you wear it, and for the season, maybe you get old, it gets a bit torn, it gets a bit battered, it gets a bit stained, it loses its color, it loses its shape, it loses its quality. What do we do? We lay it aside. It's a garment that we lay it aside. That's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, well, throw off your old self. Don't keep wearing the old self. You wouldn't keep wearing your old clothes from 1980, now, would you? <laughs> patched up at the knees. Who remembers those jeans? Yeah. I got them patched up. But we're, but we're intentional about these things. You know, we know we need to upgrade our phone, our car, whatever it may be, and, and, and our sofa, a mattress, all of these things, and we're intentional about upgrading them and, and renewing them and getting rid of those old things. And so we have this kind of principle in place where we're intentional about buying new things and laying aside the old. And the Bible tells us that we are being renewed on a daily basis, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. When we get born again, God gives us his spirit, which works in us to change and renew us. God does his part, and he is intentional about that. And so when it says here to throw off or lay aside the old self, we've got to be intentional about that too, to put away our old habits, our bad language, the way we used to talk, the way the conversations we used to uh, be engaged in, our conduct, our attitudes, our behavior, even when that we give our life fully over to Christ. The flesh and the old self is never fully eliminated from our lives. It will always be there for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our days. However, the Bible clearly tells us that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So God gives us the ability to overcome these old habits. God gives us the ability to throw off the old self. When we don't become perfect when we get saved. We are being perfected as we get saved. It's a process that happens to each and every one of us. And God will give us the ability to do what we cannot do in our own strength. But we have to be actively letting go of this old lifestyle and the old way of living, what to reject it, what to get rid of it. And we do that one step at a time. Remember, this is a practical message and we need to take responsibilities for our own actions. You cannot take responsibility for my actions and I cannot take responsibility for your actions. Each one of us will have to stand before God and give an account of the life that we live. So I am responsible for how I walk with the Lord. I am responsible for how others see Christ in me. 
We are always looking to and relying on the Holy Spirit for his power, but he also gives us that responsibility to reject the old self. Secondly, the second principle is this, to renew our mind. Verse 23 says, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Here, the Apostle Paul is telling us that the renewal of our thoughts and attitude is done by the Spirit. So he doesn't say, you know, throw off the old self and put on the new nature and get rid of the old attitudes and do all that and off you go. He says, let the Spirit of God renew you. So when we get born again, we get this new nature. We get this new life. There's a, a story in the Old Testament, and I'm not too sure it was Rachel or Rebecca, and one of them was pregnant with twins. And, um, and, 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 and God is talking, and he says, there's two nations in your womb. There's two people in your womb. There's two natures, in a sense, in your womb. But he goes on to say that the older will serve the younger. And so even for us, you know, we have our original nature, our sinful nature. And then whenever we got born again, last week, last year, 10 years ago, whenever it was, we get a new nature. We get a younger sibling, for want of a better word. And the older must come under the new, the authority of the new. And so God gives us that ability to overcome our own nature. He doesn't leave us high and dry. He doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us that ability to be able to overcome the obstacles that come our way. In other words, the power we need to apply these principles and see them worked out in our lives has been given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In a seminary missionary class, a guy called Herbert Jackson told how as a new missionary, he was assigned a car that would not start with a push, or without a push, sorry. After pondering his problem, he devised a plan. He went, to school, he went to the school near his home and got permission to take some children out of class and had them push his car off. As he made his rounds, he would, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. And he used this ingenious procedure for two years. Ill health forced the Jackson family to leave and a new missionary came to town to that station. When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began to look under the bonnet. And before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted. Why, Jackson? Why, Dr. Jackson, he says. I believe the only trouble is, is a loose cable. He gave the, table, the cable a twist and a tug, stepped into the car, switched on the ignition, and bang, the engine roared to life. For two years, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting that power to work. And sometimes stuff happens in our lives and our connection to God begets, it gets loosened. Our, our, our relationship to God in some measure, does, there can be a disconnect. God will never disconnect himself from us. It is us disconnecting ourselves from him. And when we don't make a habit of rejecting our old selves and throwing off old habits and, and making the effort to put on the new nature. We sometimes can become disconnected from God. So here's what Paul is saying in this, that we're to reject our old self and renew our thoughts and attitudes by staying connected to God, to put on the new nature, the new man, which is the Spirit of God. In wintertime, when wintertime, well, actually, most of the time in Ireland, anyway, <laughs> we put on the heating. We put on the heating. When we're cold, we take a practical step. We put on the heating. When it gets dark, we switch on the lights because lights give us direction. And when we apply the principles of God, that's exactly what it does. It gives us direction. 
it, it, it points us in the right direction. So putting on Christ, as Warren Wearsby said, it isn't always easy, but it's necessary for the Christian life. It isn't always comfortable, but it's Christ-like. It's the thing that we should be doing. A little tip I often, you know, even, you know, the Bible talks about the, the, the gateways into the soul. You know, our eyes and our ears are, are gateways into the soul. What we watch, what we hear, what we listen to can um, affect us spiritually. Like maybe contaminate is a strong word, but it can have a, an effect on us and it can make us feel, you know, if you watch something, you say, oh, I shouldn't have watched that. Or if you heard something, oh, I wish I didn't hear that. You know, and, and, and we need to be careful as Christians what we watch and what we allow ourselves to listen to as well. I remember years ago, um, working in a factory in Tala, and it was a, a couple of years a Christian, and, um, and I would have done most of the stuff that the lads were doing, but you know, but this particular group of lads, I would have I known them, but wasn't with them. And so it was Friday, Friday afternoon, we're all kind of clocking out, we're all in a locker room, and so you know, there's different people coming into their lockers, and, and people are shouting about, and they're giving you a description of what they're doing the weekend. This particular group of lads were heading off to Amsterdam for the weekend, and it wasn't to go sightseeing. They were going off to do their thing, what lads do and what they were planning to do. And I, I, I heard it, so I was walking towards me locker and I heard it in this year, but in this year I heard a voice saying, look what you're missing out on. I was like, whoa. Now there's no one around me, well, there's a few people, but I heard a voice saying, look what you're missing out on. When God speaks to us, it's from here. God will lead, because that's where the spirit dwells, deeper in us, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So God speaks to us, leads us, moves us, and guides us, but there's a sense of it here. I have never heard the voice of God in my ear. I've never heard it. I'm not saying that he doesn't do that. I'm not saying that anybody here has, you know, I'm not suggesting that, that that's what he doesn't say, but I have never heard the voice of God in my ear, but the devil I've heard it once or twice, and real clear that day, look what you're missing out on, and I knew there and then I had to take a captive. I knew there and then I had to bring it under the submission of God, and it was gone within seconds, but I just kind of thought, whoa. It was a real eye-opener, you know, that I wasn't intentionally listening to these things, but there was something within me peripheral that I heard and could have easily infiltrated if I had have allowed it. And so we need, for just a little tip for ourselves, watch, be careful what we watch, be careful what we listen to, you know, I mean, I mean, look at the simple little things. I've often been listening, you know, driving around the, in the car and you put a talk show on or a, a, wherever it may be, one of the new, whatever talk show was on the radio. And I'll be so, before you know it, you're bullying. You're, your head is done in listening, you're full of anger. And it's just, right, I need to put on a bit of worship here and just worship the Lord and just kind of get it into me. And it's, um, but it's always kind of, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with listening to radio, talk shows or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with these things. Nothing wrong with listening to a bit of secular music or whatever and, and all of those things and, and watching a bit of TV. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just being careful what we do because they're gateways into our souls. They're gateways that can affect us spiritually. And, um, and so that's, that's just a little tip. The, our third one, our third principle is to refuse to remain angry. And don't sin, verse uh, 26 says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, to get a foothold in something is to secure a position that will support you or give you strength for your next step. I don't know if anybody here has ever done one of those climbing walls, but on those climbing walls, you have like little, I think they're called little footholds. And it gives you, you know, you pull on it and it gives you the boost to get up. If you've ever done any kind of hill walking up the mountain or through fields or wherever it may be that's on a bit of an incline, you'll find a little flat piece of muck that you can get your foot in and it gives you the hoosh up to your next step. 
So that's really what a foothold is. It's to give you strength and security for the next step. Uh, I remember even as kids, just kind of playing and, and messing with the kids, even as young and all that, you know, you'd run into the house, you'd close the door, or I'd be the last in, and you'd throw the foot in the door, and there's no way they're going to close the door because you've got a foothold. Then the knee goes in, and now you have an access. Then the shoulder goes in, and all of a sudden you're in, you've, you've made access. And when we, give, when we give the devil a foothold, it is kind of like that. You know, he gets a little foothold in us, then resentment comes in, and then anger comes in. And then bitterness comes in. And it all comes in because we're allowing anger. So it says even there, in your anger, it says in another translation, do not sin. So it's not saying that anger is a sin, but it's in that moment. Don't give the devil a foothold. The 18th century British physician, John Hunter, who was a pioneer in the field of surgery and served as a surgeon to King George III, suffered from angina. Discovering his heart, his attacks were often brought on by anger, Hunter lamented, my life is at the mercy of any scoundrel who chooses to put me in a passion. These words proved prophetic. For at a meeting of the board of St. George's Hospital in London, Hunter got into a heated argument with other board members, walked out and dropped dead in the next room. Charles Spurgeon says this, do not say I cannot help, help having a bad temper. Friend, you must help it. Pray to God to help you overcome it at once. For either you must kill it or it will kill you. You cannot carry a bad temper into heaven. And so when we, when we give the devil a foothold, it allows him access into our lives. It allows him access into our, not just our lives, but our lives will affect other lives. If, if I allow the devil into my life and give him a foothold of whatever it, that foothold might look like, it will affect my marriage, it will affect our family, it will affect our friendship, it will affect uh, the, the church, it filters down. We must bring it under submission. And this brings me nicely into principle number four. We must remove resentment. Verse 31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil. No, notice what it's saying here, throw off the old self. Put on the new nature. You know, don't, in your anger, don't sin. Get rid of all. So we have a responsibility as Christians. We cannot be super spiritual, say, oh no, I trust in God and God's going to do it. No, God gives us the ability to do certain things as well. And so we have a responsibility to behave in a certain way. When Jesus was, uh, was provoked, he behaved in a certain way. It's not always easy to be like Christ, but it's necessary to be like Christ, especially for a dying world. Holding on to and harboring anger leads to bitterness, rage, harsh words, resentment, as well as all types of evil behavior. Again, the emphasis is on us getting rid of, putting away, to take action. So instead of responding with harsh words, the Bible tells us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stores up anger. It doesn't just affect or deflect. Like a gentle answer doesn't just deflect from the situation. It also turns it away from us. Harsh words doesn't just store up anger in a situation. It keeps anger alive in us. Um, I don't know if you can identify with this. Maybe you can't, but I know I can. I've often been in arguments in the past and where I've walked away from it and I'm walking down the road and I'm giving out to myself and I'm reliving the argument in my head and saying, I should have said this and I should have said that and how dare he and how dare she and da, 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 da. And I'm reliving it. And all I'm doing is carrying that resentment, that anger, that bitterness, wherever I go. So it's not even that I've left it there. I'm carrying it with me. And so there's a, it's really, really important for us folks to throw off 
in some measure. Like again, we're not going to get all these principles right in one go, but we have a lifetime to work on them. And God has given us the power to overcome these things. And if we can take one principle, one step at a time to be more like Christ, I can guarantee you, uh, uh, my auntie, this has kind of just come to me now, my auntie said to me, uh, probably 10 years ago, I think it was, and so I dropped in the house, and I was just sharing with them, you know, the gospel and how I became a Christian and what I do and what your church all about. And there's a few of them in the house. And, and uh, so I just began to share what I knew. And uh, one of my aunties says, wow, how long have you been like this? And I said, about 10 years. She says, wow, imagine what you'd be like in 10 more years. <laughs> and, I, and I just I said, actually, yeah. You know, imagine what we'd be like in 10 more years. And so, so we've got years ahead, in a sense. And so, so we, each one of us have the ability to become like Christ. Not in a sense right now, and, and we can do it all in one go. But tomorrow, we can be more like Christ. The next day, we can be more like Christ. It doesn't just deflect on us, but it does. And if we don't allow these things, or if we, sorry, if we allow these things to stay with us, to stay and harbour with us, you know, it, it, it will stay with us. It will. And again, just to remind us what Warren Wiersbe says, we shouldn't seek to do what Jesus do, or we should. We seek to do what Jesus would do, the way Jesus would do it, so that he alone gets the glory. Doing so isn't always easy, but it's necessary. It isn't always comfortable, but it's Christ-like. And our last principle is this to respond with love and forgiveness. Verse 30 says this, and do not bring sorrow to God's holy people by the way you live. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. The Bible tells us that his loving kindness, kindness leads us to repentance. Is it possible then that when we show love and kindness to others, that this too can lead them to a change of heart? Rather than throwing an answer back, rather than keeping the fuel, rather than holding on to ourselves and holding on to our rights and holding on to just whatever we feel we should hold on to. Christ says, cast it off. We were told, Paul is telling us to cast it off. Even Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, not my will be done, but your will be done. So he understood, in some sense, our human nature. He understood what we go through and the temptations we faced in those times. But the Spirit of God within him enabled him to go to that cross. It enabled him to go through the garden. It enabled him to lay down his life. It enabled him to take up his cross. But it also enabled him to rise up from the grave from the grave it also enabled them to come back from the dead and it also enabled them to give us life so the very spirit the very same spirit that was in jesus is living in us it's no different it's not a wash down or a water down it's the same holy spirit god says that you may have life in all of its fullness and he will pour out his spirit on us and that's what each one of us have and we and we've got the spirit of god living in us and dwelling in us we have and can be are, are able to overcome any and every obstacle that comes our way. God commands us in this little section here to forgive. And in all of these principles that we've just looked at, to reject our old self, to, uh, to, to renew our mind, to refuse to remain angry, to re remove resentment, respond with love and f forgiveness. It's all putting off, it's putting on, it's don't do this, it's get rid of this, it's be kind. So there's an action on our behalf. And each one of us, you know, from time to time, we don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. We don't always get all of these things right as well. And so from time to time, we slip and fall into these things. 
But instead it says, verse 23 of our scripture, let the spirit renew your thoughts. God puts the responsibility on us to take action, but he also gives us the power to be able to live that action out, to be able to active in, to be able to be active in our Christian life. Let the spirit renew your thoughts. Don't resist the spirit. It's resist the devil, resist the devil we're told to do. Not resist the spirit of God. When I've done a bit of training in the past, resistance training, and what it does, what resistance training builds strength. That's exactly, it makes you stronger. Doesn't give you a big muscles or anything like that, but it just makes you stronger. Uh, you'll often see maybe rugby players, football players, and you'll have these resistance bands around them, and there's someone behind them holding it, and they're running. They're running against resistance, and it strengthens their legs. It gives them strength. And so when we resist the devil, we strengthen ourselves against the devil. When we resist the Spirit of God, we're actually weakening ourselves. We're giving ourselves over to the devil's ways. So the more and the more often that we can resist the devil's ways and, and by holding on to what we hold there, uh, we will gain the strength and God will give us the ability and the strength to overcome these things. I'm going to ask the worship team maybe to come back and, uh, and we just do one more song. And, um, and then I just want to give each one of us an opportunity to respond to this. Um, it's, you know, I've often, you know, you know, in your anger, do not sin. We, we get angry. We, we get angry from time to time. We blow up from time to time. But God is able, but God is able to give us the ability to overcome these things. So I'm going to ask us maybe that we just bow our heads for a minute. And maybe, you know, you are struggling with one or two, with one or two of these things. Maybe you are struggling with, you know, the, the rejection of the old self, the putting on the new man, the new woman. Maybe th th there's a struggle with kind of renewing our mind, our thoughts, our attitudes. Maybe there's a, a, a struggle with forgiving somebody. Um, God gives us the ability. And if you're struggling with any of those or all of those, I'm going to ask you now just to bow your head and while the worship team is just kind of playing in the background, just in your own way, your own time, just ask God and, and invite him into your life one more time. Invite him into your situation one more time. Ask him to help you, you know, to come to that place of, of renewal, to come to that place where you are able, even in a very, very practical way, take simple steps what can i do lord that i'll be able to overcome this little situation or that little situation